tax code is structured in such a way as to incentivize small business ownership, entrepreneurship, and then investment in things like real estate and, and other investment vehicles. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And you know, one of the best ways to have lots of money is not to give it to the government. So that is why I'm psyched that today we have Skylar Cress, and he is a CPA, and he's a partner at Dominion Enterprise Services, which is like a concierge tax advisory practice. And with all the stuff going on in the tax law, which is every year, they publish a tome that looks like the whole state of California phone book with all the tax changes. So we need to talk to, to Skylar and I'm excited that we're going to talk to an expert that can help us not just stay informed, but also to provide insight of how we can reduce our tax burden, which is my personal goal. And I'm sure that's something that you would like as well. Skylar, thank you so much for being with us today. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Skylar, have you always been like interested in finding the most fun legal ways to save money from paying taxes. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I was uh, initially a college student, my interest, uh, my interests lay in completely non-practical uh, things. I, I think I started out as a history and philosophy double major. So uh, <laughs> hard to get less practical than that. But um, as time went on and, you know, I was uh, forming a family and getting married, I thought, you know what, I'm going to actually contribute financially to the household. And uh <laughs> Uh, get a real job here. So switched over to accounting and then, um, you know, basically have been attracted to tax primarily because of the, uh, the mission of, of a lot of tax uh, advisory and professional work, which is basically to enable small business owners to pay as little tax as uh, possible and only pay the tax that are legally obligated to pay, which, you know, the IRS is not interested in that. They're interested in you paying as much right. as possible. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I would say my passion lies lies there. You know, my, my father was a uh, small business owner himself. He was a custom cabinetry maker. Oh, he ran a small, nice. you know, custom woodworking uh, business. And um, so entrepreneurship is, is probably in the blood a little bit, I suppose, but um, <laughs> You know, just the the mission of enabling people to uh, run their own businesses. I'm I'm a big believer in widely distributed ownership um, across the country, and for people to kind of control their economic destinies. And so, enabling them to do that through helping them with uh, tax reduction strategies is a big passion. It's interesting because I've talked to two sort of camps of, of CPA and tax people. And some of them are just like, oh my God, you just don't want to get audited. Like that would be the worst. So we're just going to be really conservative. And I don't like that kind of person. <laughs> I don't like to work with that type of person, I should say, because it's like, you know, I can do TurboTax myself. <laughs> I want someone who's going to give right. me like things I'd never know. And uh, yeah, that's, I'm glad you're in that camp because I don't think there are enough, enough people in that on that side of the fence. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, a lot of people, temperamentally speaking, a lot of accountants are a little bit more conservative types in terms of, you know, their just their temperamental qualities. From a, if you think about it from a psychological standpoint, right. you're making sure everything's in order. You know, you're getting your making sure your debits equal your credits, and <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that oftentimes leads to conservatism with respect to you know tax filings and and the positions you'll take on tax returns, etc. And so 
you know, I'm, I guess I'm, uh, I don't fall into that camp quite as much. Um, you know, I don't think I, I necessarily fit the temperamental profile of a typical accountant. And so I think that the, that mindset does uh, lend itself to a kind of unique advantage in, in looking at things from a little bit more open-minded perspective. Yeah. So how, how, uh, what, what is, what would you say is like, cause it sounds almost like you're having, it's like a challenge, you know what I mean? Like, all right. I've got yeah. this puzzle, right? How can we figure I'm, this out? I'm a big fan of board games. You know, I got, uh, <laughs> I play strategy board games with my, my kids and, you know, I have a, I have a group that I've, uh, you know, kept in touch with back, even from high school, you know? And, uh, so yeah, it's, it is a game to a large degree. It's like, well, you know, here are the, here are the variables, here are the constraints and let's figure out how to make this work. We got to move these pieces around. And as you said, the tax code is a tome, um, it's multiple tomes. Uh, and then you add the regulations on treasury regulations on top of that and private letter rulings and court cases, you know, part of my background is I did a, a advanced degree in, in tax law. Um, and, you know, was reading a lot of case law, you know, alongside the lawyers that were in my program. And so that just adds a further layer of complexity to this because, you know, things are a lot more gray than I think people, um, people know in the tax world, because it's all based on statute that is written in a way that can be interpreted in a variety of different ways. And so, you know, back to that, that game analogy, that yeah. strategy analogy, you know, it's, it's like, well, you know, let's see how we can make this work and strategize to uh, fit, fit the taxpayer situation uh, into the tax code legally in the best way possible, such that they're paying as little tax as possible. So how, how do you go about that? Like, say I come to you as a new client, like what kinds of things could, could be in my profile that would allow me to save more money than I perhaps think I could? Right. Well, the, the worst thing you can do in coming to me as a potential client is just be a straight W-2 employee of a business. There's, there's very little you can do with that because you're paying basically the ordinary tax rates um, and you're paying... Um, wages, you know, based on wages, which those are taxed at, at that, that ordinary rate. And you don't have a lot of flexibility to offset those wages with deductions, with credits, you know, et, et cetera. And so, you know, the profile client that I, that really fits, you know, our practice is someone who is an entrepreneur or someone who has alternative investments and income sources outside of just the typical, you know, wage earner. And, um, Again, this is not, you know, to knock on anybody who just, who earns a wage. And, you know, I was, I was that for many years, but at the same time, our tax code is structured in such a way as to incentivize small business ownership, entrepreneurship, and then investment in things like real estate and, and other investment vehicles. And so um, what I would say as a baseline is, first of all, you, you, you should consider, um, earning your money in other ways other than just wages. And then that opens a whole realm of possibilities for uh, business entity structures, which will help with your tax rate. That, that opens up a whole realm of possibilities for deductions and credits that are uh, only available to certain types of businesses. So, um, and then even things as simple as home office use and home office deductions are just uh, way more advantageous as a small business owner um, than they are just as a W-2 wage earner. Yeah. So, so I know that's a broad answer, but you know, that's no, just kind of the starting point. You, so if people, if you're listening and you needed like one more little push, like to say, okay, 
I've got to get off on my own. I've got to become a self-employed person. I got to be part of this great resignation. Then here's another great reason because you could, you're going to save money on, you're potentially going to save a good amount of money on your taxes, right? (laughs) That's right. Yep. So Skylar, if you're like, let's say that I'm, um, I'm thinking, okay, right now I'm a W2 wage earner, but I really want to go off on my own. Is there a more advantageous like line of work or our type of legal entity, or is there anything Mm -hmm. that like I could do to sort of um, put myself in even a better advantage as a self-employed person? Yeah. I mean, the first thing you want to look at if you're a W2 wage earner is can I make, can I do the same thing and be, excuse me, can you, can I be an independent contractor? So can I earn the same money as an independent contractor and have my own business where I can basically control um, the deductions and the various expenses that can offset uh, the, the work I'm doing with the services I'm already performing. And so this will oftentimes be a conversation I'll have with people who are um, executives or highly paid consultants or what have you. Uh, can you convince you know, your, your employer to make you an independent contractor? There's restrictions on doing that. It's not like a slam dunk that every time it'll work. But the first thing I say is, hey, can you can you do that and um, still do the work that you're doing, but then take deductions, whether it's home office deductions or deductions for your vehicle or or even simply the fact that you're a business owner and have a business entity that helps uh, in and of itself, because um, there are various ways in which you can recognize income uh, and have that income not be subject to certain payroll taxes or other taxes uh, that are you know, hidden because you just see your net paycheck. So the classic example is say you form an LLC or an S corporation and you receive your compensation through that rather than through a W-2. There are just way more opportunities to offset that income and for that income to be not taxed at quite as high of rates. Cool. So regardless of what kind of entity you have, LLC, LLP, S-Corp, they're all similar in in the way that they're treated by the tax code? Not exactly. S-Corporations are a little bit more advantageous because um, there's a a kind of a, I I won't call it a loophole per se, but it's the tax law is structured in such a way that at least for the time being, income earned from S-Corporations is not subject to payroll taxes or self-employment taxes. And so Oftentimes, if you're just a solo sort of consultant or somebody who's earning, you know, based on your services, S-corporations oftentimes the way to go. Now, I'm not going to say this is universally the best way to do things because everyone's situation is unique. and I'm not going to make a blanket recommendation by any means, but there are differences in the entity type in terms of the, the uh, tax rates that you're going to be subject to. Interesting. And what kinds of things, you, know, you talked about home office and I know as a, cause I'm self-employed, I'm a real estate agent. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything I do, right. Everything, everywhere I sure. go, yeah. <laughs> I never meet with a person who wouldn't be a potential client. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause so theoretically, I mean, I, could I write off like all my meals and all my meetings and all, you know, the, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you can tie those things, those activities to a specified business purpose and you actually have a log where you can say, look, I met with this this client, you know, uh, we were discussing this property or this matter with respect to, you know, my work that I'm doing for them on this date. And, you know, here's the receipt from, from the restaurant. Um, 
or you know, the, here's the mileage that I spent in going from here to there, and this is what I was doing. As long as you have that log, um, yeah, I mean, you could potentially, uh, you know, take deductions for for any number of these things. And you know, it's it's all above board because you're actually doing that job. Now, where, where people get into trouble is where they don't keep a log, and they uh, get audited, and the IRS says, "Hey, where's your you know record of this being a business purpose?" Um, and they say, well, here's my receipt. And the receipt is a, you know, $120 bill to some nice restaurant. And that's, that's all that you have. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's not necessarily going to fly. So, um, and it may very well be that you had a legitimate business purpose for that, that dinner. Um, however, you just need to be able to keep track of it such that, you know, you can provide that substantiation when it's asked for. And there are programs out there that are that are good for this, um, apps that, that can help you with this. Um, I won't recommend one over the other, but I'm sure if you just do a quick internet search, you can find one, but keeping that log is, is key. Yeah. And that, I think that's where I fall down because I have the receipt and then on the back, I just scribble who I was with and what, you know, and just like, I suppose I could go back and recreate a log maybe if that you, you can't, you can, um, just use you know, a lot of different kinds of ink. <laughs> Make it look sure. like it's been ongoing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the IRS is very clear. I mean, you look at the case law surrounding this stuff, and and a lot of it has to do with substantiation. And um, I was just reading a, court, a tax court case recently, and uh, uh, the the taxpayer admitted on the stand that um, that he went back and recreated a log based on you know his memory and based on emails, and and the uh, the judge said, no, that's not going to fly. So um, again, recommend contemporaneous record keeping very much so. <laughs> so 2022, brave new year, start off and that's do right. a log. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think that's- Well, yeah. you mentioned home office. You mentioned home office as well. That's a little bit easier. And basically what you have to show there is you have a dedicated workspace um, and you can show, all right, this square footage is what I'm using for my home office. I have this desk set up here. I have this computer here. You know, that's what I'm using. So the more you can make that a defined space, the better. Um, it's kind of harder if you're doing all your work, just kind of lounging on the couch, lounging on the bed, you know, doing various things. If you have a dedicated workspace, that's better. Not to say that you can't ever do those other things, and I'm sure everyone does, but the more you have a dedicated workspace that you can show, hey, look, here's my home office. Yeah, and it's everything X percent set up. of my... That's right. That's yeah. a better better approach. And then that becomes X percent of all your expenses, right? All your household right. expenses, that mm -hmm. including like mortgage and stuff like that. Or... Yeah, yeah, wow. that's right. Yeah, now, so if, you, if you pay somebody to, uh, to clean the pool, uh, I don't know if that would fly as, as far <laughs> as an expense, um, but... Uh, well, yeah, I can't more... work with a dirty pool. <laughs> that's right that's right you might be you know you have the laptop on the side <laughs> exactly if i can't see myself i just can't get any work done <laughs> i don't know so there's and then so for me i know i have like on my phone and all this kind of stuff and what, mm -hmm. what kinds of things can people even do to be more creative because i know there's some strategies about like paying your kids to do things and stuff like that i mean how does how does that all work yeah, again, this is all tied to what's what's legitimately supportable as a as an ordinary and necessary business expense. And so, you know, I've known people to have very creative marketing um, where they have their children involved. You know, where the children the children record, you know, voicemail messages, or the children, you know, are part of a marketing campaign, or the 
the children are doing some basic administrative uh, work and stuffing envelopes or what have you. Yeah. So um, as long as they're doing real work and you can point to that, then that's uh, that's a potentially really good option. And and as you know, those kids are not paying a very high tax rate. Uh, so you can, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, achieve some tax efficiencies by doing that. But again, tie it to actual work uh, that you can show. Um, and that's not necessarily all that hard to do. You don't have to, you know, they don't have to have a, you know, log of every minute of their day was spent doing X, Y, Z. You just have to point to some things that they've done and be able to give examples of that. Yeah. Well, and you know, a lot of kids are better, for example, at social media, right? I know a mm-hmm. lot of real estate agents whose, whose kids do their social media stuff mm-hmm. because they're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, that's an entirely, uh, legitimate and plausible way in which you could say, "Hey, look, this is this is something that I'm not necessarily I'm not a digital native like like these kids are, and so um, that's why I have them doing it for me." And you know, family business uh, again is one of those things that I I'm very passionate about. And you know, when the time comes, I intend to employ my some of my kids in my business, and you know, I think that that's something that uh, too few kids are are getting an experience of you know, how a small business actually runs. And so uh, I think it's a huge opportunity, not only for the, you know, the tax savings, but also just for, uh, for the family and, you know, for the experience that the kids would have in doing that. So now, Skylar, how do you decide how much is too much to pay them? Right. Cause I say, uh, Oh, my social media, somebody was going to charge me, you know, $400 a day to do social media. So that's what I'm going to charge my, you know, pay my kid. Yeah, I mean, really fair market, fair market rates are, are a great way to do it. I mean, if you tie it to a fair market rate and the the work is relatively comparable, I mean, that's a great way to point to uh, their salary and say, look, this is what I'm paying them a fair wage for this because this is what this costs. And so I encourage people as much as possible to try to find those comparative rates by getting quotes and then just go with that. And if yeah. they want to pay them a little bit less, that's fine. Uh, maybe they, they want to withhold a little bit from them on, on that, but, uh, but I, I do think that getting those, those quotes from other service providers that are doing that same work is, is basically the, the baseline uh, way to approach this. And do those kids become 1099s or are they W2 employees? How, no, how they're, yeah. yeah, 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 they're, they're, they're W2. Um, and, uh, you know, again, because the, of the progressive rate structure, um, generally speaking, it's, it's fine to, to do W-2. We were talking earlier about, you know, consultants forming their own entities. That really only starts to make sense if you're making, you know, six figures uh, or more, really, um, you know, forming your own entity to do that. So I don't, I don't think it's really necessary unless you plan on paying your kids that much. Yeah. But then once they have that W-2 income, can't they start contributing to like a Roth or something that's like right. that? That's right. That's right. And that's the other advantage of the W-2 is that there's um, there's all sorts of qualified plans that they can start contributing to. Um, yeah, Roth is a very popular one. Obviously, the Roth getting started very early, very young is hugely powerful because, uh, you know, you have the, com- you know, compounding interest and just kind of growth in that, uh, that, that basically never will be taxable. And if it, they're at a low rate of uh, taxable income, they don't really need the, four, you know, the, the typical you know, yeah, traditional, traditional IRA, IRA right, or 401k yeah. to offset their taxable income like um, a lot of adults might who are in a higher tax bracket. Yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, it's just so powerful, like having these tools. Can, right. It really can transform your kids' lives, your own life, you know, your 
offsetting some of your, you're able to help the kid to save towards something, you know, whether that be their retirement or their school or whatever. Yeah. Well, and psychologically, you know, I think that it just is way better for people to start thinking in terms, thinking these strategic terms, you know, we, we were talking about it being kind of a game a little bit, but I think this really can energize people in thinking long-term because they're thinking about their children, they're thinking about their retirement, they're thinking strategically about lowering their tax bill on an annual basis. To me, that just energizes um, you know, the mind in terms of thinking strategically across the board about business, about everything. Yeah. And so um, I think there's a lot of complacency in just kind of the, I get my net paycheck. And, you know, one of the, the funniest things that I hear is I need to do my tax return. And what people mean by that when they say that is I need to go to H&R Block and get my refund which was a interest-free loan that I gave the IRS <laughs> all year from my t- withholdings of yeah. my, uh, my W-2 wages and then get that back. And so uh, I just, I really want to disabuse people of the notion that that's, that's a great idea for them. It's, you know, it's, it's just not, you're not, you know, you're not really taking control of your financial future. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What kinds of things, can you think of like a client or a situation where, they came to you and you were just like, oh man, I can help you so much. And you just like blew them out of the water with all your suggestions. Sure. I mean, yeah. One of the things that I specialize in is, uh, is credits. So one area is the research and development tax credit. And um, I remember working with a client, it was near the begin- beginning of the pandemic and they had pivoted to doing this um a specific product that was kind of in response to the pandemic. And it wasn't that part of their traditional business. And um, they were looking for ways to save taxes. And they had no idea about the research and development tax credit. They'd kind of just been phoning it in with a, with a CPA that they had been working with who, you know, was older, didn't really have, you know, the expertise in some of these areas. And so um, after our first meeting and assessment, I said, look, I, I, I know you guys have have a good amount of income this year. Um, I think that we can implement this strategy and we can save you, you know, half a million dollars in this <laughs> this year. And uh, they said, "What? What do you mean? Why has no one ever talked to us about this?" And, and so, um, yeah, it was it was huge for them because it saved a bunch of cash flow. They were able to invest in a lot of uh, new equipment, some new hires, and that just kind of supercharged their business going forward because they were you know, they were looking at paying a, a, a hefty tax bill uh, come March and April, and uh, they were able to not do that and basically, you know, invest all that money into their business. I mean, that's a game changer, half a million bucks. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, so yeah, uh, you know, and, and I could mention a few others, I mean, whether it's, it's restructuring, I mean, I, I, I can think of a few instances where, you know, helped people um, obtain the real estate professional designation. And so they were able to take uh, quite a bit more losses that were not otherwise available to them. Um, As you might know, um, you know, uh, being a real estate professional is potentially very powerful for being able to take losses against your other sources of income. uh, If you are do have that real estate professional designation designation rather than just being a passive investor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's another big area is, is helping people through that process of, Hey, how, how are you going to get that designation? 
Um, and how are you going to basically unlock a lot of these losses, which can oftentimes be paper losses? You know, they can be depreciation that you're taking on uh, commercial investment properties that you have. And so um, that's another big area that, you know, I've seen some recent success in. Um, and then lastly, you know, a lot of the pandemic stuff, uh, the, the legislation surrounding it, um, one of the big areas of success that we've had recently at our firm is the employee retention credit. So that's one where, you know, again, oftentimes people don't know about it or don't know they're eligible for it, but it's a payroll tax credit, a refundable payroll tax credit. And what it is, is you get up to $5,000 per employee in 2020 and up to $21,000 per employee in 2021, depending on your eligibility. And this is for small and mid-sized businesses. And, you know, easily six figures is, is uh, very common for businesses with 10 to 20 employees uh, to get back on this credit. So again, just, you know, there's a lot of opportunity right now with uh, the legislation that's out there. And, um, you know, oftentimes the tax uh, and accounting relationship is seen as just kind of perfunctory compliance oriented. Hey, I just need to get this form filled out and be done with it. And, you know, I don't, I don't want the IRS to come knocking. So I'm just going to, you know, fill this in and, and make it go away. I want to get, get this done with, but really that's not the way to approach it. It's let's look every year to see if there are opportunities out there and see if we can save money. Cause this could be a game changer for your business. Absolutely. Oh, can you imagine if you found out like 10 years down the road that you could have had that extra half million dollars? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you know, I used to have a great tax account. The first time I went to him, he said, you know, bring me your last year's taxes. And so I brought them and he said, oh, you want refile them and do this, this, this. And he saved me more than it cost me to hire him for the next two years, just in that by having me refile my prior year taxes. And I was like, oh, I love you. But then he went and retired on me. So. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big issue in our industry. We have a lot of baby boomers um, in the, the accounting industry, specifically in CPAs. Um, you know, we, we have a, kind of a crisis upcoming uh, where there's a lot of baby boomers retiring and not a lot of people who are interested in sitting for the CPA exam. Uh, it's not the, uh, the sexy, you know, uh, <laughs> high profile job at, at, uh, at your Silicon Valley firm or your tech startup. So, you know, a lot of people are just passing on that. They're doing, they're doing various other things, social media, tech, tech stuff, software development, but you know, it's not going away. Uh, people are still going to need financial statements. They're still going to be tax advisory work. Um, so, you know, I think that it's something that, uh, is an opportunity for, for rising generations. Um, so, and there's like, like you said, there's a very little, um, uh, you need to have a good tax accountant, uh, if you do your own business. Um, and so, uh, that's the sort of relationship that uh, you you can't take for granted. So, Skylar, are you just giving people advice, or are you actually doing the physical filings and stuff for them? Selectively, we do filings. Um, oftentimes, what we'll do is just partner with an existing tax preparer. Um, we try to keep our docket of, of tax preparation light, just because we want to have the brain space to be able to. Uh, provide strategic planning and, and advice, um, especially when we're talking about the credit work, like the R&D tax credit or the employee retention credit. Oftentimes what we found is the other tax preparers out there are so bogged down with getting their tax returns out the door that they don't have the time to really 
provide their clients with the attention they deserve on these matters. So what we'll do is we'll help consult with them. We'll, we're not interested in taking their clients away. We just partner with them and say, look, we'll do this work for you. So you don't have to, um, you know, we'll, we'll charge our fee. You keep your fee as the tax preparer and, you know, we'll, we'll help enable this uh, implementation of a strategic plan here. In other instances, we do take on the tax compliance work and tax filing work, but usually that's when there's a combination of different services that we're doing for, you know, strategic services that we're doing for a client. And, you know, as a matter of keeping everything in-house because it's a, you know, a bigger relationship, we'll do everything in-house on our own. So who's your ideal client? Our ideal client is somebody who has, uh, who is a business owner, who ideally has an operating entity, uh, and potentially other interests like, like real estate investments or real estate holding companies. Um, and the more they do innovative work, uh, the better. And so you think of your light manufacturers who are doing you know, research and development work and, and employing a good number of people to do that. Um, you know, that's kind of the sweet spot for us. Another area is if you do have somebody who is in real estate, who is a real estate developer or a real estate professional who, who, you know, who does that full time, uh, that's also an area where we can, we can help people too. Um, but ideally, they have a, a few things going on. You know, they have a few different income sources. They're entrepreneurial. Um, they're innovative. Um, that's the sort of person we want to work with. Yeah. So not some cookie cutter person who's better off at H&R Block, right? Right. Right. So you've talked a couple of times about uh, the real estate professional. Is that different than just having your real estate license? Yes, they're not the same thing. One's, you know, enabling you to do work in a particular state as a real estate agent or a real estate broker. Yeah. The other is an IRS specific designation that enables you to take, uh, to treat different sources of income and losses differently on your tax return. And so the difference between somebody who is a, real estate professional, uh, according to the IRS definition, which doesn't require you to have a license per se, right. and somebody who is a, a non-real estate professional, is the real estate professional can basically take losses on their tax return to offset any other income they have, whether it's interest and dividends or wages or anything like that. And they can take those losses on a basically unlimited basis uh, against that, those other sorts of in, sorts of income that they would recognize on their return. Normally, you would not be able to do that because if you have somebody who's a non-real estate professional who has rental properties, their losses would be considered what's called passive losses. And so those passive losses get put in one bucket and that bucket cannot offset these other active sources of income. And so, you know, say you have... Um, two spouses that have, you know, one spouse is a, a high wage earner, say they make two or $300,000 uh, W-2 wages. The other spouse, um, you know, they are a real estate professional. They could take uh, losses, say through depreciation or other, other means on maybe some rental properties or investment properties that they own that will directly offset the other spouse's wages. Wow. If that was not the case and they just, you know, owned a couple of rental properties, maybe they both work W-2 wage jobs, uh, you would not be able to do that. And say you lost $100,000 on your rentals, that would just go into a passive bucket and it would get carried forward 
And the only way you could offset that would be through uh, income that's associated with passive rental activities. And so it's not like it's you know the end of the world in terms of your you know your losses will get absorbed one day. Yeah. However, <laughs> it doesn't get you the direct benefit like the right, other exactly. designation. So if, you, would. if you didn't have if you had a bunch of vacancies because you, or your tenants couldn't pay their rent because of the pandemic, right? And you need the money now. Sorry, you know you, you right. got to carry that forward for five years until you yeah. finally make it up. Man, that's not ideal. So, Skylar, how do you get that? What, what um, differentiates? Because I know a lot of our a lot of our listeners are involved in real estate in some form or another. So, what? How do you get that designation from the IRS? Yeah, there's there's a whole series of tests that you have to go through. There's a specific hour requirement. There's a specific uh, percentage of time that you have to dedicate to it. Uh, it has to be more than half your time, basically, um, and you have to be what's called a material participant um, in whatever rental or other real estate you know, affiliated activity that is. And that could be any number of things. That could be real estate acquisition. That could be real estate, you know, sales or brokerage. That could be uh, real estate uh, development. Um, so you, you can, there's a whole list of, of real estate related trades that you can be involved in. But basically, you know, I can go through the really nitty gritty details, but just long story short, you need to be spending your time doing real estate as as a job as a professional sort of thing now again that doesn't mean you have to be licensed you could be a real estate developer you could be you know somebody else who's not licensed as a real estate agent or broker per se um however you need to be spending your time doing that it's not like you can be a full-time you know uh investment banker and also be you know full-time full-time real estate person but if you have maybe I mean, the perfect scenario in my mind is, is say you have two spouses and maybe one stays home to, you know, for part time to pick the kids up from school or what have you. Um, they could potentially get their, their license. They could start working in real estate. They could, you know, start doing some sales and they could get that real estate professional designation as somebody who, you know, spends basically, you know, their working hours to the extent that they do work uh, in real estate and, you know, uh, as long as they spend a certain requisite number of hours per year uh, on that, um, 700 to be exact, um, they can actually get that real estate professional designation. So the, the scenario I really like seeing is say that very scenario where, you know, you have a high wage earner spouse, um, maybe they make enough money to start buying real estate investment properties. The other spouse, as long as they start investing their time in becoming experts in real estate as a trade, um, you can start getting that designation. And so um, that oftentimes works really well, that scenario. Because mm -hmm. overall, if you file a joint return, that that joint return can be you know hugely impacted by that designation. Yeah, I can see that. So Skylar, what advice would you give to people? Like it's almost tax time as we're talking. By the time this gets out, you know, most people will have their taxes finished, but um what kind of advice could you give people to sort of set 2022 off on the right foot for them tax wise? Well, I don't think that your average, um, your average person is necessarily going to be able to dig into the tax code and, and find <laughs> these things on their own or want to, uh, or want to. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it took a bit of convincing uh, to get me to, to shift to this too, as I think I mentioned. <laughs> um, so 
And as, as I mentioned, we have the, the labor crisis in our, in our field. So it's not like it's an attractive thing to, to be spending your time doing per se. <laughs> um, however, there are people who are out there doing it. And so what I would encourage people to do is take a look at who, who is your tax professional. If you don't have a tax professional and you're just you know, thinking there, there is even a possibility that you might be leaving money on the table, um, reevaluate that and see if you can, you know, get some recommendations from some business owner friends who may have a good relationship with a CPA or a tax professional and see if you can just get a conversation going. Our approach is similar to the approach that you mentioned with your previous tax preparer uh, in that we look at the last couple of years of tax returns and we say, hey, you know, Within a half an hour, we can spot, you know, any number of issues and say and make recommendations based on that. And really, if you can find a tax preparer that can that can do that for you, who looks at some previous year's returns and can can find things for you, then that's a really good sign. And and even if it doesn't end up being that person forever, um, establishing relationship with a tax professional who can look at your tax situation every year and do kind of an annual checkup and can be a sounding board for new business ventures, for investments, et cetera, is an investment very much worth making. And so I would just encourage people to make that part of your budget every year. You know, you can think of your budget as, um, you know, carve out what you pay in taxes, find out exactly what you pay in federal and state income taxes and payroll taxes, find out all of that itemize it, find out what that is and say, okay, I want to whittle this down every year. Maybe, maybe you can't whittle it down in terms of absolute numbers. Maybe you need to whittle it down as a percentage of your income. Find out what the percentage is. Say it's 35%. Say, I want to get this down to 25% of my income. How am I going to do that? And then present that to a uh, tax professional and say, how can, we, how can we do this? And let's make this an annual check-in where we say, what percentage am I paying every year of my income to federal and state and, you know, local taxes? So that would be my advice. Let's, you know, get you, wrap your mind around that number and see if you can whittle it down and see if you can, you know, help your cash flow so you can do bigger and better things with that money. Wow. And so I guess that's the question. I mean, my, my next question to you is going to be, what should you ask this person? And, and I think what you've just said is a fantastic thing, right? Here's your, here's the challenge for you. This is the game. <laughs> there you go. This is our goal. Now let's uh, figure out how we're going to go about winning this game. That's right. That's right. Excellent. So Skylar, do you work with people just in Idaho or do you work with people all over the place? Yeah, all over the country. So my, uh, my business partners have a, a strong presence in the greater Boston area. Um, and so they're, you know, they, they have a, they have a presence there. I have a presence in California and the West Coast. Um, I'm in Northern Idaho, which is it's kind of a hot spot for a lot of uh, Seattle and, and California um, transplants. So everybody I talk to is, is a West Coast transplant. They, they wanted to uh, get to a, a less crowded you know, place where you, you can go hiking outside your front door. Um, so uh, yeah, our practice is national and um, we talk to anybody anywhere. Um, and uh, you know, the CPA license isn't limited to the state that you're licensed in. I'm licensed in California and Idaho myself. My partner's licensed in uh, New Hampshire, uh, but that that doesn't matter as far as uh, being able to file. You can do anything. That's right. So Skylar, how should people get in touch with you? Because I think everybody should at least have a conversation with you. Sure. Yeah. um, You can reach me. You know, we have a contact form 
um, and a bunch of resources on our website um, with a blog and you know other podcasts and other things that we've we've participated in and been on. Um, that's uh, at dominiones.com. So D-O-M-I-N-I-O-N-E-S.com, dominiones.com. And so there's a contact form there. Um, we actually have a little uh, a little survey that you can fill out to see if you know you want to pre-qualify for you know, maybe our services. And, um, you know, so that's a good place to start. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then, yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of a good, good place to start those two places. All right. Great. And, you know, I'll put all those links on the, in the show notes. So if you're listening and driving, don't try to like get an accident and take all this down, (laughs) just go to go back to the show notes and you'll find all that info there. Um, Scott, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't, that we haven't touched on anything you want to share? Oh, that I wish you would have asked me. Well, you know, uh, I suppose, um, I, I would have wanted to talk a little bit more about kind of, uh, your, your journey with respect to, to taxes and, and, uh, you know, your, your business journey a little bit, but, uh, I, I suppose I can find we got time. Okay. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. So I just actually, it's interesting that we're going to talk about this because today I just took the big stack of paper that I hadn't filed and that I know there's a lot of tax stuff in there. I just organize it a little, pile up my taxes. And this year is going to be a killer year for me tax wise. And I don't want to work with my old CPA. So, and I'm like, well, this is good, Chris. You wait till March to decide that you want to find a CPA. (laughs) I'm sure they're all twiddling their thumbs wondering where, when I'm going to call them, right? Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't even know where to start for this year, but yeah, I'm self-employed. I sold a property. I took money out of my Roth. I um, got some, I have rental income. I have real estate income. I have, um, I mean, all kinds of just, it's just a complete. Like you said, it's a game. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of variables, a lot lot of of things you have to fit. And I have no clue what to do with them all. Maybe the first thing to do is to to uh, you know take a look at at all the inc- itemize all the income sources and and uh, all the tax you know taxes that you paid last year and and then go from there. But yeah, I mean that's you know that's that's the challenge, right? It's it's you you have a bunch of different income sources. They all can be treated a little bit differently depending on the facts and circumstances. And uh, having a trusted person to talk to about that is is kind of key. And you know just in general. The more that I find people are t- having these conversations at year end, you know, prior to the end of the year, say like late, you know, sometime in the holiday season or, or ideally early to mid-November, uh, <laughs> that's what we encourage our, our clients <laughs> to do is, you know, get something on the calendar. Let's have a, let's have a, like a two hour meeting where we talk through every single thing that, that happened and could happen to the end of the year. And then we know what we have, our game plan is. That doesn't mean you have to have all the details nailed down then, but at least you have some visibility. And so, yeah, uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, again, as we talked about, I'm not necessarily temperamentally inclined to that sort of caution and et cetera, but, you know, maybe it's just been drilled into me after all these years. So <laughs> no, I encourage people to do that. I, I think if you're good at what you do, 
you know, damn the torpedoes, you know, you're not going to be sitting there shivering in your shoes. Like, Oh, what if I mess something up and this person's going to get audited and go to jail. Right. I mean, you're right. Good at what you do, you're just like, Hey, bring it on. Cause That's we right. did everything right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how about what one parting question for you? Cause I know that sure. you know, you, if you were here, you'd slap my hand, like keeping good records. Like there's, you mentioned the log, but w- what about other things? Like I just have like a, a big stack of crumpled up receipts, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> do you have any, you mentioned software, which I think did, is there stuff where you could like take a picture of the receipt and then make notes or something? I mean, how do these software packages work? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the apps themselves will do that. So you could take a picture of receipt, it'll log it in. It'll, it'll ask you a couple of questions. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, you can look any of these up. Um, you know, for, for tax purposes, uh, that, that will do that for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and there's ones that are, that are more suited to certain, you know, industries, et cetera. Um, but you know, mileage wise is one or something like that, you know, there's, there's others, but in any case, um, keeping it, making it realistic that you can actually do it on a regular basis, I think is key because it's one thing for me to say, all right, you know, let's you, you keep a log, um, make sure you have all these, you know, facts and circumstances there. People don't have time for that. And it, it takes a very particular temperament and personality to be somebody who goes back and does that every week and yeah. reconciles that. I mean, yeah. um, so I would just say, make it as easy as possible on you and get one of these apps. So you can just take a photo of the, of the receipt and you can, you can maybe just dictate, Hey, this is what we were doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just go from there. And a lot of them actually will, um, will be, will interact with programs like QuickBooks Online. And so make, you know, talking to uh, the different programs automatically, I think is a huge, um, huge thing as well. And keeping paper is just, maybe that's a a good point of discipline is um, I have to, I have to take the photo of this receipt and make sure it's logged in so I can throw it away. And I don't have this huge pile, <laughs> this shoe box that I'm going to hand to my potential tax preparer, uh, because I can tell you that you're not going to win any friends in the, in the tax <laughs> world by doing that. <laughs> and what do you search for? What is it called? Like tax? What, do, what should I search for? Yeah. I just say log keeping, um, log keeping for tax, um, okay. Yeah. Log keeping software, log keep, log keeping apps. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's what I need to do. I, you know, I have a friend uh, who has an, who owns an inn and mm-hmm. I went there one time and he was getting, he was, he had like a notebook and he was taping his receipts into the notebook and like making all these notes. I thought there's no way in hell I'm going to do that. That's yeah. never going to happen. You're never going to see me, see me there with a thing of scotch tape, putting a bunch of receipts into a notebook. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Mile IQ is another one. Um, you know, there's uh, yeah, there's I can't remember what website. I think it was on Careful Sense um, that that they have you know best tax apps for self-employed individuals. You know, so yeah, thanks. Um, I'll look into that. Yeah, awesome. They have like I don't know between five and ten listed, so you can just kind of see what fits for you. But uh, you know, again, integrating with the various softwares and making it as easy as possible on you, I think is, is very much worth it. And the headache of having to compile all of that, uh, something I like to focus on is what's the highest and best use of your time, you know? And so the highest and best use of your time 
is not to do that. I mean, I'm an accountant and I don't do my <laughs> own that books <laughs> because it's not the highest and best use of my time. Right. So even though I could easily do it, I'm not going to do it because it's, it's not my highest and best use. Right. And so, um, you know, it, it, it always cracks me up working with business owners who think that they really need to just find every single cent by looking back through all their receipts because they don't have something like this in place. And it's like, well, you just spent four hours and you found yourself $200 in, in tax savings, which is great. <laughs> But, but what you, if you would have done something? You could have sold another house or, during that. Yeah, hour. exactly. <laughs> what do you so. charge yourself out at for an hour? Oh, right. $250. Well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You just lost 800 bucks. <laughs> yep. yep. Awesome. Well, so. Skylar, thank you so much. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see if I can move this up in the rotation because right now I'm scheduling out to May and that's not really going to be that. It would be much more helpful, although maybe too late, right? For people to hear it, you know, sooner, but yeah, maybe I'll mix things up. A lot of people go on extension. So yeah, the sooner, sooner, the better. I think people, people should be thinking about this. So yeah, for sure. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you Skylar so much for being here. Really appreciate all your wisdom. And thank Wonderful you, listener, you. for listening. I know you have a choice of about 2 million websites. So, I mean, a 2 million podcasts. So I'm really psyched that you're here listening to Skylar and I chatting. And um, make sure you share this with somebody who doesn't want to like, who doesn't like to pay taxes, which I think is most of the people you know, certainly most of the people I know. <laughs> Should hope so. Yeah, right. And make sure that you join us next week for who knows what, now that we got the schedule all messed up. <laughs> Great being here. Thanks, Christine. Thank you.